Hello everyone and welcome to the Women of Blockchain podcast by Cointelligence Academy, where we provide a unique and impartial blockchain and crypto education. I'm your host Laura Salamidu and our today's guest is Tessie Megagin, who is the co-founder of consensus project Liquality.io. Liquality recently released an atomic swap-enabled wallet that enables exchange of cryptocurrency across Bitcoin and Ethereum blockchains without a middleman or registration. Previously, Tessie was the Vice President of Product Strategy at JP Morgan's Investment Bank. She worked with Occupy's Alternative Banking Group and co-created a scientific peer review system. Tessie also founded Women in Blockchain, a global community of women within the blockchain space. In our today's talk, we will hear Tessie sharing her journey into creating Liquality and what was driving her and her team. We also talked about different topics through the lens of blockchain for social good. We touched on the basic human rights and where blockchain makes sense as a technology. Before we jump into our talk with Tessie, I'd like to thank our partner Public for helping us deliver this podcast. Public is a search engine that is powered by people and fueled by its own token economy. Public shares 80% of its profits with the ecosystem and uses the community's collaborative efforts, AI and blockchain to revolutionize the web. So thanks for joining again and for now let's go ahead and enjoy our interview with Tessie. Thanks so much for joining us today. Please check the notes section of this podcast to find the links of some of the info that Tessie has shared and her contact details. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Women of Blockchain podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share. And don't forget, if you're looking to learn more about blockchain and get access to quality free online content, do visit cointelligence.com and choose the topic that interests you the most. Finally, check out public.com that is spelled P-U-B-L-C, and create a free account and support the internet of tomorrow. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you all in the next episode. Hi, Tessie. Welcome to the podcast today. How are you doing? Hi, Laura. How are you? I'm good. Great, thank you. Okay, so very excited to have you here. And why don't we start with your background and your story into blockchain? So my name is Tessie Megahin and I work with Consensus, where I'm one of the co-founders of the Liquality Project. Uh, my background is in UX and product strategy, um, as well as in working in emerging technologies for many years. And so before I was at Consensus, I worked with JP Morgan's Corporate and Investment Bank. Uh, on creating trading products and before that I had my first startup experience in co-creating a scientific peer review system with the Association for Computer and Ma- Computing and Machinery in the US. And um, after I left the bank I also joined uh, Occupy's Alternative Banking Group and I also started Women in Blockchain in New York in 2016 when there weren't really any women in blockchain yet. So that's the high level summary. And um, I would like to give you a little bit more insight into my motivations, like how did I actually get there? Please do. That would be very interesting to hear. So I can say I was always questioning the status quo, right? And questioning rules. Um, and I was always standing for 
inspiring innovation, self-expression, and interdependence. Interdependence being, you know, we are all uh, part of a bigger community, part of a bigger picture. Um, and I got there because um, I kind of didn't have the choice. <laughs> I was born to a German mother and an Iranian father in Germany. So I had already two parents from two different cultures and um, I was from the start global, but I was also translating between the cultures, right? And experiencing the world really as an insider, outsider. There was always this other perspective. And um, so what was right in one culture was not right in the other culture. So there were always these, these choices and I was very early on aware of um, the very different standards uh, within different cultures. And so um, that gave me the freedom and uh, I, I call it the freedom, um, the opportunity to create who I am, right? I didn't follow, um, you know, what was normally seen as, as uh, something somebody should do. Um, and I did value the different perspectives and I also gained confidence in sticking up for who I am and what I believed in. And even if that was different. It's so interesting what you're saying. I mean, it's slightly off topic, but it's, uh, you know, when people sometimes talk about multicultural backgrounds and having two completely opposing cultures within their home, they always talk about it in a slightly negative ways and you lose a sense of belonging to neither culture um, or something along those lines. But I, I like to hear what you're saying, that that actually made you feel more empowered and gave you the freedom to be able to think differently. I, I, I really love the idea, you know, the way you put it. Yeah, and so it's and, and that there is some truth to that. It, I didn't feel. I mean, if you have parents who who are actually a different culture than you, <laughs> that is a different experience, right? And and so I, I felt that I was I was a third thing, something else between them. And um, so I didn't ever care to belong to any cliques or anything. But um, I had a very early success with that approach of of being different. Um, and sticking out, and back then Germany wasn't wasn't very mixed, right? So I visually stick, stuck out as well because I had dark hair, dark eyes, you know. Everybody had like blonde hair, <laughs> and so. But I, at 13, I was actually the the youngest student president in my school, um, that the school ever had, and um, I, I never, you know, subscribed to, to groups and cliques. But I did always believe in in power to the people and collective action, and I always had that sense of like. Um, we we can do something together and we, we together we are strong right and so um, throughout my life actually I kept recreating that and um, even you know fast forward um, with women in blockchain or or you know my all my work with diversity bringing diversity in I have very early understood that we can't represent other people's um, point of view or experience but it's so valuable it's so important to have this um, and, and it makes so much uh, better product, uh, better, more sustainable um, ecosystem if you if you have information from so many different points of view, right? So, so Absolutely. definitely that was very much rooted in my in my childhood. Yeah. And so, yeah. So when I came to the U.S. and um, after studying. Um, interactive computer technology and art, 
I graduated right into the blossoming internet. And um, the way I saw the internet, which was actually conceived as a decentralized technology, um, it was like, you know, you have your like 14.4 modem and you dial into this space of freedom, this cyberspace that doesn't have any barriers, has no borders, where we are all one people without division. Um, and of course, today we know that that isn't quite okay. the way it went. <laughs> but it <laughs> was very beautifully said on your side. Well yes, and so it was also a rude awakening. <laughs> and I one day realized, you know, all these corporations had moved in. And I mean, I was quite young then. And I, I remember the people talking about PGP. And, you know, like there were, there were people who were talking about, you know, security, data, um, encryption. But I was just like on a totally different page with what I was interested in, right? Um, and so I didn't hear that. And I can imagine that a lot of this is happening again today. So um, like part of like, you know, my activities today come from that knowledge that, um, you know, I was at that point back then not quite understanding the full picture. And maybe I can contribute um, a bit to making sure that the emerging technologies today, um, you know, stay safe and go go um, a way that we perhaps intend them to go. So anyway, so I, I um, my first uh, startup experience was with uh, building a scientific peer review system, and um, which lowers basically the time to publication for scientific reviews, mm -hmm. uh, which is great, you know, but that wasn't my main interest. My main interest in this project really was the opportunity to lower barriers for um, entry for scientists in other places. So um, that was really my driver. That, that was my motivation. So I wanted to bring, I knew about um, a scientist in Africa, they had great opportunity, uh, great uh, universities over there. Uh, but they had no access to the scientific community and the scientific community wasn't collaborating and so so one of my my interest was to to feature them like um, disproportionately in the community mm -hmm. so 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 to to basically bring them into the community right and, and have them share their knowledge and so i worked with the um, university of addis abeba at the time there wasn't any business model for that yet there wasn't any community like facebook yet there wasn't any linkedin what kind and of year we're talking about to see was that uh, this this was like 1999 2000 right and so uh, basically when the the internet bubble burst um, this is uh, we launched a project the scientific reviews part but that part got cut, which, <laughs> you know, this was my, my baby, <laughs> but um, it's so interesting. So what I took away from this experience, and that's why I'm mentioning it, is that innovation takes both. It takes technology and it takes people understanding of the opportunity, right? So otherwise, um, it's difficult to, to have adoption, right? And so there wasn't the time yet that this was seen as a need to have um, the scientists collaborate with anybody. Um, probably even the scientists didn't quite see that opportunity yet. This was also very early in the outsourcing times. And so later, I mean, a lot of this, this happened. So, um, 
today also, you would have... But it also sounds like a mini use case for blockchain, which is what blockchain is trying to solve today on a bigger scale, different within different I don't know whether this, I don't know whether this would be something on the blockchain, but, um, you know, what it shows though is we had no model for this yet, right? There was no Facebook. Today we can compare it, right? We can say, oh, it's a little bit like Facebook, a little bit like LinkedIn. And mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Collaboration. And so this is something that in blockchain today, um, we are again, or I'm again, at an early, at, at an early technology, right? So um, this is something that is also missing, right? We don't, we don't, we don't have that yet. We don't have those models yet. So, and that impacts um, business decisions, business models, funding models, right? We, we are trying to decentralize, but then we get funded by traditional venues. That kind mm-hmm. of seems counterintuitive, uh, right? Mm-hmm. So. But definitely, I, I took my lesson from from there in terms of like, you know, um, that you have to educate, uh, you have to bring the people, you have to bring the ecosystem along with the technology. You can't just like put a technology solution out there. People have to actually see how they can use that and why that would be important. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. We'll definitely talk about this a little bit later and I would love to hear your views around how education is actually doing because there are so many initiatives around education within blockchain, but I never can tell whether they're actually producing the value that we want because it's been quite a few years, but still there's so much confusion around what the, the technology is meant to do. Uh, but I would love to also hear about your, your current projects and how you're kind of in, involved into blockchain. Yeah, sure. And, and this totally comes together. Right. I mean, it's it's funny. Like in hindsight, you can look back and you go like, oh wow, you know, this is like there is the story. So mm-hmm. when I worked with JP Morgan, you know, of course, I was working with JP Morgan at the Reviews Project, Reviews.com, which was the, the Pierce Reviews Project. And um, when I worked in the uh, corporate and investment bank um, during the financial crisis, um, of course, I became very aware of. You know, certain things not working so well, as many people became aware. And so um, it was incredible complexity that was unnecessary, really. I realized that people should have an alternative to banks, number one. And there are also many people who are excluded from financial life altogether. And those people also should be able to take part in the economy, right? So after leaving the bank, I worked with the alternative banking group of Occupy for a few years. This is an activism group. And um, and I came to decentralization as a value. Like if we decentralize institutions, if we move some of what they do back to the individuals, right? Because it didn't used to be so complicated. We were doing trades like, you know, I mean, this was like, um, there was a Bretton Woods, there was a tree in on, on Wall Street back then when, in the 1700s, where people were doing their trading with one another, right? And there was a bar in James Bar, I think it was called, in, in London, where people were trading in, in, in 1791, I believe. Um, this all ended and turned into actual exchanges, right? But today, um, maybe we can bring that back to the people. So, so all these things coming together, the lowering of the, the barriers, um, the, the understanding that in digital life, you can actually uh, create efficiencies really quickly, you can open up uh, communities 
to um, access by others much easier than you know there's no distance involved um, and you can create peer-to-peer -peer applications that was the, and eventually led me to my interest in, in doing something like this in 2012 i had my first bitcoin but i didn't quite see the utility of that it was very <laughs> difficult to use i wanted to give my sister a birthday present and i literally had to go I, I just sent her an e I emailed her a picture of it. That's a, <laughs> that's a unique birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how to send her the, the Bitcoin, you know. So I sent her the picture of the Bitcoin. But um, I had understood how beautiful the design of that um, electronic cash system is, right? Uh, I hadn't read the white paper. Uh, fast forward, my interest in decentralization um, got me eventually to hearing about blockchain in 2015 and uh, shortly thereafter I ran into I, I saw Joe Lubin the, the founder of Consensus and one of the co-founders of Ethereum I saw him speak at a fintech conference and I invited him to speak at uh, Occupy <laughs> all these things come together right <laughs> yes <laughs> and, and then I was looking into like what they were actually doing at Consensus and I was like wow you know this is so cool and this was like yeah Consensus was maybe like 25 30 people at the time I was like oh my yeah this is like I have to totally be part of it and then in 2016 I, I joined Consensus and um, yes, I mean, this is like, I went down the whole rabbit hole of blockchain and initially, of course, like, saw blockchain as the solution for everything. Like, <laughs> that. You know, you can end world hunger with it. And today I'm, I'm probably a bit more realistic of what you can do, but then also I know much more about like what you can do it and, and let's do it. Yeah, at Consensus, I initially worked on, which makes total sense, at uh, the viewport on the Alpha of Viewport, uh, which is a self-sovereign identity application. And um, working on that, I met uh, Simon Lepscher, who is um, now with me a co-founder um, of Equality, together with Alex Grissel. And so we three already have an interesting background. We three are from. Uh, Simon is from Venezuela, Alex is from South Africa, and I'm half Iranian. So those are countries in financial crisis or under sanction, right? So mm -hmm. <laughs> between the three of us, we are very motivated <laughs> to, to um, and you know, be, be really on target. Like there is no, um, we, we don't make compromises, maybe other teams would make that don't have that experience in, in their family, right? Yeah, of so, course. So liquidity, liquidity and equality make the word liquidity. And how that relates is we are creating a liquidity network so that everybody can take part in. That's our vision uh, because we do believe that everybody should be able to access the economy and nobody should be excluded. And we are building a trustless infrastructure, meaning there isn't anybody in the middle. Um, you don't have to go to a bank. You don't have to go um, and ask for permission, but um, the technology allows you to trust it. Who could use the equality just to understand? So the equality provides a technology that allows 
to trade across blockchain. So right now, Ethereum and Bitcoin blockchain are not compatible, right? There are mm -hmm. different um, projects trying to make those uh, different technologies compatible. They wrap uh, Bitcoin and bring it onto blockchain, uh, onto Ethereum. But we do see that as an attack vector, right? I mean, the right. moment you change anything about uh, a token, our goal was to use the native token, native tokens and make them interoperable, right? So we created a, we call it the chain section layer. And so the first um, implementation of this is within a exchange, right? So we have, we have a web-based exchange interface and we have a, uh, an extension, a Chrome extension, which is a wallet. And so now you can very easily swap between Bitcoin and Ethereum. Wonderful. Right, so, so the typical customer, I guess, the typical user in that case would be who? Just anyone who holds um, crypto on either blockchain and they would use your product to, to transact. Yeah, so the first the first use case here would be, I mean, you can do this, but you, you can go to an exchange, right? You give your name, you give your identity, and the, the exchange can say yes or no to, it, to you being part of this. And then you send your Bitcoin and then they eventually send you ether that is what you can do today right but there are people who say hey i don't want to give my name or i don't have an identity card um, if and i'm doing this peer-to-peer -peer, so i don't need to give my name and my identity and so um, today this the the user of this application is somebody who would like to for example access this ethereum decentralized finance area right and so within that um, you know there are 165 billion dollars worth of bitcoin sitting and you can't access ethereum directly you couldn't access ethereum directly which becomes a bottleneck right and ethereum is like about 26 billion and of that are uh, about one one billion uh, in in DeFi, right, and decentralized right. finance. So now you can go from Bitcoin directly into decentralized finance. That is one. We're opening the door for the um, liquidity to flow into uh, Ethereum or into those products, into these projects. Then most projects are on Ethereum, um, and there's and most money is sitting in Bitcoin, right? So that is that is the first. Um, so interesting. Yeah, that is the first use case, right? But um, that wouldn't necessarily speak to to equality because that is, you know, that, that is uh, equality is really the, the long term vision, right? Initially, we have to get the liquidity going. So, um, so this is the first use case, and the first users are probably users who understand, um, and those are usually the Bitcoin users. They do understand and they value their. Uh, privacy, their value, their security. And we have a technology that uh, it's called atomic swap technology that atomically at the same time swaps um, Bitcoin for Ether. So therefore, um, there isn't um, there isn't any backing out. It's, it's a t technology that's pretty well known now, um, and that secures the transaction. Right. So it's it, there is no counterparty risk. Um, mm -hmm. So. This is the first step, right? And this we have this already. This is this is already happening. The next step is liquidity, because when you think about, you go to a centralized exchange, you go to a place where there is 
siloed liquidity, right? There's only the liquidity that that exchange has. Um, but, you know, what if you could just say, hey, I have one Bitcoin and I want the equivalent in Ether. And you could just like write this into a little script and put that online and, and um, you know, people could say, yes, I can do that trade. You know, anybody could do that. You, you can open yeah. up the liquidity, right? And so the liquidity networks, the way we imagine them and the way we're working on it, is that you hold your wallet, you have an amount of um, crypto in there, and you can assign the amount to trading. You can say, hey, you know, you know, I have like um, 100 Ether here and 90 Ether I know I'm not going to use. Um, anybody who wants to trade with those 90 Ether can use them. It's automa automated. It's a bot, right? And it, it trades and you get a percentage. You can, you can configure this to the percentage you want to earn on this. And then either people like it or they don't. And then they use your liquidity or they don't. Right? So that is the liquidity network. But also you can see already, this is providing access to people who to, to create a business that they weren't totally. part of, totally. right? So far, you, you can't do this, you know, in the yeah. old world, you have to be like an accredited um, investor um, and you have to be all kinds of other things in order to, to do this, right? So, so this is um, the, the next step. And then, of course, the future is access uh, to this type of financial infrastructure in general, right? So. So people being able to um, access, um, for example, these type of exchanges, but with our protocols, this is all open source, this is all out there, um, and we want people, other devs to build on it. We are just participants. We are not an exchange, we are not in the middle of this. We create this and you can use it, but everybody can enable other tokens, everybody can use the technology and build on top of it and take advantage of this trust layer that we have built and it's unintermediated so there is there isn't anything and any anyone in the middle of it and so you want to make it easy for people to build the decentralized future absolutely i mean that sounds like an amazing project congratulations on that um tessie it was really interesting to hear your your story and and how you started into blockchain and what actually drives you it's, it's very inspiring so thank you for sharing that i would also love to spend some time with you talking although we kind of touched on this in many ways already but in general blockchain for social good and what blockchain can do there obviously there are so many ways uh, that blockchain applies and there's so many pressing problems that could be solved. Um, and I think blockchain obviously takes us like a role of re-establishing re the fairness in this modern economy. Like you said, it's not solving every problem. But there was an interesting statistic actually that I'd like to quote. I've seen it on consensus. So it's, uh, it said that there is an estimated of 20 to 25% of funds globally that are uh, lost to corruption at the government level and there are intermediaries that take up to 7% of uh, global remittances and, and modern fintech solutions they don't include up to almost 2 billion global unbanked adults. So these numbers are shocking and I just wanted to hear your thoughts about this entire, you know, the system and what would happen if we changed and we, you know, we reduced those numbers basically, what the economy would look like. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I'm interested in building alternatives, right? So I'm not interested in getting the unbanked banked, but okay. 
<laughs> I'm interested in building something that is actually better, right? And and for me that is peer-to-peer technology. And so, uh, what would that look like? Yes. So we are building peer-to-peer technology. Liquality is, and we are a team of seven right now. It's a small team, and um, it's open source. So we hope other people, and we know other people are already building also on. Uh, on top of Liquality's protocols. Um, so the way the, the future will look like is that there will be um, financial products available to those people who are not banked that they can choose and access. Um, of course, you know, accessibility is not only at the end, at the, at the product level, but it's really like, you know, do you actually have the internet? Do you have the basics right so the basics have to come up and have to be easier there are mesh networks there are all kinds of other technologies that will be enabling technologies right so we are early in this um you know we have solutions and we we won't reach the poorest of the poor with that yet but we are slowly closing the gap right Mm-hmm. Um, so um, again, there are different. So that that one is banking. The other one could be uh, messaging, right? Unintermediated encrypted messaging, um, so that you can actually speak your word and nobody listens to you. Um, that's really important. Um, different types of economies. So what what's um, interesting also a uh, lot on on Ethereum is um, creating different types of economies. Um, circular economies, gig economies, like for example, Gitcoin. I don't know whether you heard about it. Um, it mm-hmm. Basically, you put something out there um, in a world. You, you, you have to find different funding models, right? I mean, that, that's a way of creating funding models that, that are con- community-based. So like I said before in my example, um, you know, all these things have to come together. Um, if you just have one solution, a techni- technical solution, but you don't have the new um, business models, you might not. This might not be survivable quite yet, right? Yeah. So, um, but everybody is working towards um, finding solutions on all levels, and there are lots of smart people, lots of engaged people in this area, and so um, I hope that we will, um, you know. Stay on track and, and find those solutions. What you talked about, um, um, corruption, let's say, you tra- the tracking of funds, right? Um, yes, we, we have this uh, blockchain um, tracking tool. That's what blockchain is, tracking. Um, but anything that you put on the blockchain still has to be verified, right? So it's, it's not 100% solved. A supply chain tracking is the same thing, right? Like you put something on the blockchain, but you have to still trust the person or group that puts it on the blockchain. And the same is at the end, um, you know, getting the data or taking the goods or whatever happens at the end. Um, it's the same thing. You still have to trust that these people are reporting properly. So we will be able to do a better than solution right now, but we haven't totally solved this yet. Right. Could, could this um, be solved though, Tessie? Like if you really think about it, like how could we completely eliminate, you know, trust? Because we will still always, like you said, we will always need to trust of someone to verify and then someone to verify the verifier. How is this even solvable? 
um, some, let's say, if you have intrinsic value, right? Like if you have a digital message and it goes from one place to another, or you have a, a digital value like a token, a, not any token, but those that with integrity, for example, a, a Bitcoin goes from here to there, uh, that happened and you see it and there it is, right? Um, but anything that's representing something, right? Exactly. You, you, yeah, if you pre- represent something, and and that's why I'm, I'm I'm saying, and that's also the I mean, this is almost a political discussion in, in the blockchain Bitcoin environment, where people say, oh, well, this is not right, this is you know, this is not a real thing, we don't need it. Um, I do think we can we can. Uh, there are so many different types of use cases for for blockchain, but we do have to understand where we use what, right? So um, supply chain tracking. Um, we have to understand first mile, last mile problem. Um, can we resolve this eventually? Yes. I mean, you can have tracking systems. Um, if you don't build it, we won't solve it, right? So that's my that's my attitude. Yes. Yeah, yeah it's do. it's very very important to clarify that because I think it's still so not clear what blockchain uh, actually does in this entire kind of conundrum. But what it really does, like you said, it's a tracking it's a tracking system. It's it's, it's a tracking system. It, yeah. it puts a time code to a transaction. Exactly, right? verifiable information streams. That's it. Uh, but and it's not like we didn't have this. So let me let me uh, elaborate on that for a second. Um, so I mean, you have UPS tracking your package. We have that. There's nothing new about that, right? Yeah. What's new about it is the level of immutability. Immutability means okay, the the blockchain, the proof of work, for example, um, means there there is a, a group of computers of uh, connected to people who don't know each other they're part of a network and they verify a transaction that creates a code and that is appended to the previous codes and all these codes are specific to to those transactions right so mm-hmm. if you would want to roll it back if you say oh well you know like let's cook the books and let's change some entry um, that would actually be more expensive um, than than no, not doing it because it would be so labor intensive you couldn't do it right so that is blockchain in its purest sense right absolutely it not, it's immutable now other like if you have a if you have a tracking system if you have a uh, you know supply chain t- tracking system that's usually done by companies so they have a different consensus algorithm so they have access they could do it but there is more transparency right um there might be part of consortium and so they don't have to trust each other that much really mm-hmm. but there is the you know it's still not as secure but um, that's why when we talk about blockchain, we have to think about, is it really important? Is it really necessary or is it just cumbersome, right? Yeah. Um, what opportunities are there and, and what do I need? And maybe I can start here and then migrate to something else. And maybe I start with a private implementation for most uh, social impact um, use cases. They are actually privately implemented, meaning they are controlled by an agency, by an NGO. Um, and they're great pro- uh, projects and they, they go towards decentralizing them eventually, right? So there are very different um, ways of applying this. Uh, and so blockchain isn't equal to blockchain. Sometimes 
you know, people call a distributed ledger technology blockchain, where the block actually doesn't matter so much, but the block is really where the trust is anchored. Yeah. No, I think this is uh, this is very important to to you know emphasize these messages and actually help blockchain to be where it needs to be and not you know everywhere without clear purpose. Um, so I think we already touched a little bit on that different challenges around adoption, but maybe we can talk um, about them more. So what kind of uh, challenges the adoption of blockchain for social good is facing? Some of the challenges that are very obvious, and maybe some of the ones that are less obvious that we can't just you know observe, and maybe you have a unique angle on it i mean some definitely um the the adoption is hampered by accessible technology in in lots of cases Uh, i would say where people need it most they might not have the right technology they might not have the trust in the technology Um, there are some beautiful projects out there for example i'm thinking of uh, the building block uh, project that uh, is led by human habit of the uh, world food program and um, the pilot of this was um, really to expand um, the refugees' abilities to access and spend their cash assistance, right? So this, is, uh, this was implemented in Jordan in a refugee camp and it had to do with data. It has to do with data. So they did iris recognition there. And um, there are some elements of it in, on the blockchain where they, where they track the, the actual cash that was given out. Um, they try to neutralize um, and, and not share data. So data is held still within one of the organizations. So, um, and they found out that trust was, was a problem too, you know? I mean, often the refugees, they, they don't want to give their name. They don't want to do, um, they have good reasons why, right? So, so, um, so there are so many very specific uh, to a situation um, problems, not just in the technology, right? We have solved a lot, but we have still a far way to go. And there, there's great progress being made. Communities working on um, SDGs, the, the development goals, um, sustainable development goals of the UN. But, um, you know, um, technology is just one part of it. And it's a very young technology. So I would say um, from, from the implementer's point of view, it's really important to understand what the difference is of the, the blockchains and um, you know what the benefits and disadvantages of, of each of the technologies is. Yeah. And I think you mentioned now and before about education, right? So I'm wondering in how, for example, in the developing world where we you know talk about it uh, a lot, well, I want to say sorry, in the developed world, but in the developing world where blockchain solutions are so needed, where you just describe the situation, for example, for refugees that are still don't necessarily trust, um, you know, to give away their information. So I'm wondering how the, the education works there. Is someone taking um, those initiatives on, in, in those parts of the world and how do they educate the people where that technology can make the most impact? I also want to caution here because uh, it's the education, we, we, we talk about the education to adoption on the user side, right, on the refugee side, but there's also the education needed on the people who build it, right, they have to think about that too. Um, yeah, now we start logging people, what, what could that possibly mean for them, right? So it's a, it's a bilateral education, that's number one, and number two, it's 
usually need to drive adoption, right? So that that's already that that's a good thing, right? So need drives adoption. Um, if you have something that people can easily take, then um, then your chances are bigger that they will use it and and even beyond the trust, right? I mean, we all know um, that that. Uh, the fa- that Facebook ha- takes our data and sells it, but we still do it because of convenience and because of many other uh, yeah. reasons. They, so they, the benefits outweigh our our own sense of security, right? And so um, when we think about, um, for example, identity, digital identity, um, and and refugees, um, there is a great um, opportunity. But I would like to try this first, you know, in in environments where. It, where nobody gets killed, you know, <laughs> if if it goes wrong, right? Mm-hmm. If, if data, if it's used wrongly, if there's a problem with with the technology, and and there are great um, models uh, that have been built, and um, self-sovereign identity, for example, meaning that you have your um, government-issued identity as part of your um, application, but you also have verifications by schools. You have verifications by, um, you know, people attesting to your skills, um, attesting to who you are, attesting to whatever you want them to attest to. And then you have on the uh, other side, the people who want to verify who you are um, to, to build trust or to do business with you. Um, they, they can require like um, certain attestations to as a as a condition of of doing business with you let's say right or as a condition of hiring you right um, so you let's say you have your educational degree but then can you actually do the job and then you know people say yes this person can do this and um, and then you know my requirement is is fulfilled and, and i hire you mm-hmm. right um, and and that's different than um, so that that's a verified transportable identity that is quite different than um, what what we used to as identity being a passport, a paper mm-hmm. that is by somebody or can be taken away by somebody, right? This is something you can you can you have and, and that belongs to you. Um, so generally speaking about digital identity solutions, um, there is like a pr- prevalent belief that blockchain is the only way to solve problems like identity theft or uh, companies storing custom information securely or in, in just general control over someone's private data. Would you agree with that, that the blockchain is the only way of achieving that? Um, blockchain moves the identity pieces or the data pieces, let's say, to the individual, right? So instead of it being held in a company, it is held by by you on your phone. Uh, a phone is a pretty pretty uh, secure device. Um, and so if you just think about that, uh, companies are honeypots for hackers. They can go there and they can just hack it away and, and take out all of it um, versus you know, getting the same amount of data, having to hack every single phone is quite unrealistic. So from that perspective, uh, decentralization is definitely a big promise, right? Um, and and this, this, that's, that's a security model. 
so you retain your your control over you retain control over your funds you retain control over your data as opposed to like storing it on an exchange um, or giving data to to a company that that holds it right and so mm -hmm. actually it should also be the benefit of those companies because um, that's also a huge liability to hear about data breaches all the time yeah, absolutely so the model of of decentralization which is possible via blockchain is indeed that i wouldn't just limit that to identity or i wouldn't say you, know, you have to have a blockchain based identity how far would you say are we in in sort of experimenting with the solutions and developing them and, and at what point in the future do you think this would be feasible for everyone or most people to own a blockchain identity? Well, I mean, if you talk about a government-issued identity, that's much easier, right? But that is not the identity I'm talking about. It's just part of a self-sovereign identity, right? Where you have some government um, paper basically translated into a digital form and held by you. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. um, the, the bigger picture um, of, and, and, and for example, banks can issue that type of identity just via a token and they can verify who you are, which they have to do anyways for lots of uh, financial transactions, right? In order to deal with you, the, a bank has to verify who you are. So they could be the issuers um, and, and um, you know, optimize that part of the system. The more interesting part is the self-sovereign identity where you hold uh, your own attestation given by others. And um, I think in, there, there are quite a few models out there. Um, nothing is uh, finalized yet and it's all pretty much in flight. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting, but I mean, there are also tons of different types of IDs out there right now, right? So if you, let's say you want to take a flight and you go to <coughs> an airport, you should just be uh, walking by and just be checked on, um, you know, how do you have your ticket and, and are you who you are? But it doesn't really matter. Um, the, the, the privacy is in, in cryptography, right? When you go, for example, today to a club, it, it, it checks whether you are 18. Right, mm -hmm. but in order to show that you're 18, you have to show your identity. Everything is on there. They, they, they check you in New York, at least they do. They scan your entire ID, your place of uh, where you live, um, your name, your everything, right? And and so they take all those uh, pieces of your identity as opposed to just verifying. Yes, above 18, you can come in, right? Wow. And so, 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 you know, taking that apart and understanding that every time you go to Facebook, they take every, everything you do on Facebook, everything you do on Google is tracked. There is so much you give up. We give up, I give up. Yeah. And, and, the, and the, I don't know whether it's a sad thing or what, but most people don't really see the problem with it or don't frankly care. Um, but you I guess monetize it if nothing else. Why would another <laughs> company make the money, right? If nothing else, you could monetize it. But I think it's also super important to to be um, and and be all. I mean, now we have Alexa everywhere, and I mean, we, we are constantly listening to. Um, we have to. We actually have to undo some of the the, the damage we have done with 
with the internet, I would say, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it will happen. I always have this trust in humanity that I think when we build this, these things, these solutions, and when we start seeing that they actually turn into damaging us, we will quickly rectify. I, I, I trust that. Okay. <laughs> You're not so sure? No, I'm sure that it's not the case. I mean, we already have the proof it's not the case. I mean, if you look at um, China, for example, um, social credits, right? I mean, based on certain interactions, um, your, your social credit um, history uh, might be bad and therefore you won't be able to take a train. I mean, that is, that is the other side also of any technology, right? So this is something we have to with technology, with, uh, blockchain technology or any other technology, we have to make sure that those things don't happen. You know, we have um, predictive policing. We have predictive um, Amazon trucks standing there knowing that uh, certain books will be bought in this area and therefore that truck is already filled. We have that mm. too. That We see that as a, conven- as, as a convenience. But we also have the predictive policing we, we have data about, uh, you know, populations where we say, oh, this person has a higher chance to be criminal again, so this person won't be getting out of bail, but that other person will be. I mean, that is Orwellian, you yeah, know? And absolutely. So, so we have to, data um, is a huge issue, and, and the more you can keep it to yourself, the better. Like, I guess we could definitely talk about this for much, much longer, but we do have a little bit of time left and I would love to spend a few minutes with you talking about diversity, which is what you're very, very passionate about, like you said. And I know that you are heading a very interesting initiative also called Women in Blockchain. And I really wanted to hear the story behind it and its purpose and what it does at the moment. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, Women in Blockchain, um was something that uh, I had already worked with women on Wall Street and, and, and been active in, in earlier um, women initiatives for equality. And um, when I came to blockchain, I realized there were barely any women. And so um, pretty much all the panels were guys, right? And <laughs> white guys. And they're great. <laughs> they're amazing. I mean, I mean you know, I, I like them. and. They are great allies, you know, but we, like I said before, um, you, you, nobody can represent another group. And so it's really important for building um, proper, um, not proper, like sustainable product and systems to, to have diversity and women are a big part of that. So um, Women in Blockchain was um, started uh, in 2016. We did uh, the first meetup. And, wow, this was great. You know, this was um, you know, meetups at the time more than today probably um, were the one way of learning about blockchain and they were usually, um, yeah, they were just the guys and the guys talking to the guys and the guys kind of, you know, lecturing and then going, leaving. And so uh, my goal was to make this a much more, um, you know, friendly atmosphere and, and sharing, uh, women talking to each other, sharing about um, their background and then featuring women as um, examples of, of people who had, um, you know, entered the industry and really opening 
the doors for other women to understanding what they can bring that don't just have to be technical, you know, because that was always the blocker for everybody was like, oh, I'm not technical. It's like, yes, but in the internet, like really, like who is working on the internet? Really, everybody had to be technical. I mean, who's talked about that? You know, so, um, and this was like greatly successful um, having this type of community and um, it was very empowering to women to um, also share resources and network and have um, built a different uh, communication, uh, a different conversation around this technology. And, um, and more and more women in blockchain or women groups came about, right? So women in blockchain groups themselves, there are about 17 chapters around the world. Mm-hmm. Some very active, some great. I took part uh, recently in, a, in the one in Brisbane in Australia because now everything is online. It was amazing. And it was so great to, to meet other women and, and be part of, of what they're talking about. And they're talking about the women in blockchain. And um, really power women, you know, having amazing job. Um, I opened the, the women in blockchain chapter a couple of years ago in Berlin I mean again I mean all these women were already working in blockchain they had great jobs and you know came from all different angles so it's very inspiring to see that of course so on that note maybe from your experience what would be your set of practical tips for women especially the ones who are non-technical um on entering the space so what could they do in order to transition into blockchain if that's what they're interested in i mean in general it's always important to find out what's your interest and why do you want to do that what attracts you to this particular technology what is the promise that that you see in it and then where are you skilled so far you know what what have you done what's your interest what's your expertise and then how can you merge those two um you know connect to the community uh join join a chapter perhaps um and see what skills you have to get additional or if you um if you had great success also with women being mentors or to hackathons and incubators um bringing their expertise i mean older women in particular they have like they have like years of expertise that you know and then you have these young technologists that very much benefit from this right so those are great combinations to move forward like the the young technologists can can educate the the person with the experience about blockchain and the person with the experience can share the domain knowledge right i mean if you have a banker there or if you have um you know somebody who worked in in um you know an ngo for years and knows really how it looks on the ground um this is a great combination so that's what i would be looking for and and definitely um you know connect to others that's really important um so on a personal level i wanted to ask you um, what kind of biggest challenges you faced when you were building your career in blockchain I can't really say challenges, right? I mean, it's not a challenge that is particular to blockchain. It's it's just like you know, um, you know, women have women get maybe discouraged from certain uh, professions 
And um, but I wouldn't say I, I I'll take I'll take that on, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's is it a challenge? Yes, it's a challenge. And okay, so here we have an organization as Women in Blockchain, and that's very um, you know future forward. And um, I don't want to be a whiner. <laughs> Sometimes, of course, when you when you um, you know, it's, sometimes it can be frustrating when you feel like you're not being understood, but mm-hmm. I think everybody has that sometimes, right? Um, so it's refreshing to to um, be with female peers and, and talk about it, but then also go out and change it, right? And we can do a lot. So I'd rather um, talk about, um, you know, rather than talking about the challenges, um, I want to talk about like what can we do right we are very powerful we can do a lot everybody can right and everybody should and so uh, for example recently i'm uh, i'm hiring for a front-end developer role right now and i saw a lot of uh, women who often were like interested in back-end developing they weren't they weren't uh, you know the right candidates for for um, our job but one thing i also realized um, there were more guys already on the blockchain side that gives them better chances and so i was like okay so what can i do i I met women who came from coding programs and i said hey um you know i talked to consensus academy and and now we have this like offer that we can offer um boot camp scholarships to female coders right and this Mm -hmm. only came about because i'm just hiring and i saw there's a need and and really um, it's amazing you know, and, and and those are little things right and that's what i love about being at consensus right now is like or like for the past few years is there is this you know i expanded my um my powers in terms of like there are other people yeah. who are also interested in building a better world and building a more equal world and we we can put our heads together and we can actually get stuff done and that's amazing that's amazing because when people with your intentions get access to resources like consensus, that's when amazing things happen. So yeah. um, that's lovely. So is that something that uh, some um, people can apply to, for example, that bootcamp that you've mentioned? Absolutely. Yes. And and, and listen to this. I, I got the 10, 10 um, scholarships for to extend from women in blockchain. And then I asked and I said, like, what if I find some other ones, you know, other groups? And then... And then now I'm talking to like uh, people in Heidi and I'm talking about, I mean, it's like this stuff can snowball, right? I put it on a list in the UK, you know, and then I'm, I'm getting people from there. So it's really, it's rare. I talked to this kid that was sponsored by the Ethereum Foundation, um, who knows people in the Middle East, you know? I mean, once you start connecting the dots, it's amazing how much you can do. and. I just want everybody to know about their powers. Find your powers and just like go for it, you know. And blockchain, because of it, it's an emerging technology. It's a technology that is moving power from the institutions to the individuals. Um, it has more of those type of people already in the ecosystem. You know, it's a it's a great place. It's a great place to play um, and to to bring something to and to express yourself and to help others to do the same. Really inspiring. Thank you for that message. So um, I will be sharing then details of uh, everything that you've mentioned, including the bootcamp, the uh, notes of this episode, sure. which might be interested to apply. Uh, but in conclusion, 
Ceci, thank you so much. Um, is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you would like to mention? Oh, no, we keep that for next time. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Okay, so please tell our listeners where they could connect, uh, connect with you online. Pardon, uh, where, where they can connect with me online. Um, I'm on Twitter um, at Tessy, T-H-E-S-S-Y, M-E-H-R-A-I-N. Brilliant. I will add that also to the notes. And on that note, thank you so much for your time. And I'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you.